We're actually going to wait a minute before we get to the scripture this morning, so I want to give you a little bit of background on uh, what we're going to look at in Romans chapter 5. Uh, the book of Romans is a, a very important letter from Paul that informs a lot of our Christian theology to this day. Uh, the, the letter to the Romans is not a letter written just to one specific group of believers. It was written to a lot of house churches in Rome. Um, it starts off by saying, to the churches in Rome, plural. So there's all these pockets of house churches that Paul is writing to. And unlike many of Paul's letters, Paul is writing to people that he doesn't really know and who don't really know him. And so in a lot of Paul's letters, he writes and he's, he, he already knows that he has a foundation uh, with this group who knows his theology. They've heard him preach. They, they've heard him teach. They know what he's all about. But this group of believers or these groups of believers aren't starting with that foundation. Um, they have been preached the gospel and they've become believers and they have churches. But uh, as far as Paul, they don't really know him. And so the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans has a lot more of Paul's just basic theology in it than a lot of his other letters, which is also why it's a lot longer than a lot of his other letters. So the first 11 chapters of Romans uh, is much of Paul laying out uh, who God is and who people are because of who God is and what that relationship is between humanity and God. Uh, because the people in Rome have not heard him teach before. And so we get to chapter 5, and there's already several chapters of laying that foundation. Uh, and I want to go back just a little bit before chapter 5 to Romans chapter 4, when Paul says this in verse 7. He's actually quoting something we'll look at too in just a second. But Paul says this in uh, Romans 4, 7. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Is this blessedness then pronounced only on the circumcised or also on the uncircumcised? Essentially, Paul is saying on the Jew or the, the Gentile. And then he says, we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Faith was reckoned to Abraham, who is the father of all Jews, as righteousness. But then Paul asks a very important question, which will be important for what we look at in chapter 5. He says this, How then was it reckoned to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And so Paul's point is, it wasn't the act of circumcision that made Abraham righteous. Uh, it wasn't just by being a Jew that Abraham was righteous. There's something else that happened that made Abraham righteous. Uh, and that's what we're going to get to in chapter 5. Paul, by the way, is quoting a psalm of David, Psalm 32, uh, verses 1 and 2, which in my translation says, Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
happy are those people whose sins have been forgiven. Amen? Yeah, this is a, this is a good thing. This is cause for celebration. Uh, and it's interesting that we have had a baptism scheduled for today because uh, the Methodist Church draws a connection between uh, circumcision in the Old Covenant and baptism in the New Covenant. Which is why we're okay baptizing babies. Because it's something God is doing to bring someone into the church family. That's a whole nother sermon, but had to make sure to get that little nugget in there. And so then we come to, to Romans chapter 5, which is our focus for this morning. And Paul has just explained that, that Abraham was, was made righteous by God, but not through an act. Okay? And then he writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now there's a connection between uh, what happened with Abraham being made righteous and what's happening with the Roman church. And we can then move forward in today and say this about ourselves as well. We have been justified through faith. It's because of that that we have peace with God through somebody else, through the actions of somebody else, is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now listen to this, this next phrase. It says, through whom we have gained access. So there was something that humans did not have access to before Jesus. Something that, a power that could not be accessed by humans. It's through Jesus Christ that we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So Paul likes to use a lot of courtroom language, and uh, you can see that play out a lot in, in several of his writings, but it's certainly taking place here. Because uh, Paul is going to paint a picture of, and throughout Romans, of what it means to have sin in your life. And there's an often quoted uh, scripture in chapter 3 of Romans that say everybody has sinned, right? For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We all stand accused. So imagine a courtroom and you are the one that's being accused. You are standing as someone being condemned. But then Paul says, because of Jesus... We have gained access by faith into a different location in which we stand. Grace. We now have access into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Leave that there for a second for me, Mike. We boast now in the hope of the glory of God. Paul is pointing to two different realities that are now true. For the Roman Christians and for us here. We, we previously stood accused, condemned of sin. Now we stand, present tense, in grace. But it also has future implications. Now we can boast of the hope, something we look forward to, of the glory of God. So the grace of God takes us out of this this place of standing accused to standing in grace and because of that we now have a new hope of the future 
And then Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now you might wonder why all of a sudden Paul is talking about sufferings. You have to think about this from the stance of the first century Christians who were experiencing a lot of sufferings. And so for Paul to say, you no longer stand condemned, and now we have this great hope. The readers of this letter might look around and say, I don't really see that around me because there's a lot going on here, Paul. Where is this great glory that you are talking about? We now can experience. And so Paul says, we also glory in our sufferings. And then we get uh, what Paul is kind of famous for, these lists uh, that have a, a cause and effect relationship. It starts with one thing, and then there's a result of that, and then a result of that, and a result of that. And there's very little punctuation sometimes in Paul's writings, but in the English we've been given uh, some, some help with that. So Paul says this, because we know that sufferings produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. So Paul is drawing a connection between the present sufferings and the future hope. And then he says, and hope does not put us to shame. Now, I've said this before, uh, pretty recently, I think. There was nothing more important in first century, uh, the ancient world in the first century in that uh, culture than honor and shame. Uh, their, their entire culture was built upon this concept of honor and shame. And so that's a, that's a key word that they would have heard, that this hope does not put us to shame. It's not a hope that's going to fail you and leave you shameful. People saying, ha ha, I thought you had hope. It's not going to put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. This is actually the first place in the, in the, in the book of Romans, in this letter, that Paul mentions God's love. It's interesting that in laying out his theology, he can actually take five chapters before he talks about God's love. But I think when reading it as a whole letter, as it would have been read, all of a sudden people would be like, ah, God's love. We're getting to that. Good. And so Paul says God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Past tense. Something that's already happened. His love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, Paul is speaking in the past tense to say, speaking to Christians, so he's saying this is something that you have already experienced. You too stood condemned in your, in your sin. And you now have a new place to stand, which is in grace. And even though there are these present sufferings that continue, they actually also point towards a future hope. And then Paul says this, he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were in that place of being condemned by our sinfulness, when we were without power and essentially without hope, Christ died for the ungodly. 
To make that point a little stronger, Paul says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while that was still us, while we still stood condemned with no hope, That's when God said, yes, because of my great love for you. I will move you into this new position of grace. You see, God didn't come and say, okay, now that you've done this, this, and this, now you can move over into this new position of grace. God doesn't say, okay, now that you've said the the right words or, or done the right actions, now you're good enough for me to love you And cover you in grace. No. No, Paul says God does this when we're at our worst. When we are ungodly. When we're in our iniquities and our sin. That's when God says, I still love you enough to pull you out of that. And to put you into a different position. A position of grace. It's all accomplished by the blood of Jesus. So Paul says, since we have been, now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, which is the ungodly, while we were those people, he wanted to reconcile us. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And if God loved you when you were still standing condemned... How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? If God's love was poured out on you when you were ungodly, when you stood condemned in sin, how much does God love you now that he has reconciled you? And then Paul says, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, if our righteousness was based upon something we did, if our righteousness was based upon something that we said, then our boasting would be in ourselves. We could go out and say, look what I did, and now I'm reconciled to God. But Paul is making it clear, that's not the way it works. Essentially saying, No, to Phil's question, is your resume good enough? Which is the title of his sermon this morning. No, your resume isn't good enough and neither is mine. No, there is no list of what you or I have accomplished to say, now you can move from the place of standing condemned to this new position of grace. And what this means is, That we're all justified by the same thing. By the action of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was that action that justified all of us. And so now none of us get to boast in anything else except for one thing. What God has done for us. So so to to, to Madison, Madison, Addison, and Grayson... Didn't notice that before. (laughs) To Madison, Addison, and Grayson, 
You don't get to go to your friends this week and say, I got baptized or I got confirmed. Look what I did. You get something better, though. You get to go say, I was baptized this week because of what God has done in my life. Or I was confirmed, meaning I said yes to my baptism from earlier in my life, not because of something I've done or something I now learned or understand. No, you get to go say, because of what God has done in my life, my church celebrated that I said yes to Jesus. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. And this is all of our stories. No, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is all of our stories. Because every one of us stands condemned. And we stand on trial. And if we try to get out of it by, by our, our works or our words and try to defend ourselves, which is usually our first inclination to try to defend ourselves when we're accused of something, at least it's my first inclination. But if we do that, we continue to stand condemned. It's only when we say yes to the questions that they said yes to down front that because of what Jesus has done, we are moved into a new position, this new position of grace. It's only something that God can do in your life and in my life. In just a few moments, we're going to sing one of my favorite hymns, and I will say before we sing it that it's one of my favorite hymns because of the, the, the lyrics, not because of the melody. Sorry, Kathy. I like the melody, but uh, unless you're a really good vocalist, it can be hard to make all these jumps. But we're going to try our best. And I want to hear you sing it with gusto this morning. But I want to read one of the verses from this hymn. Uh, and can it be that I should gain? Verse 4 is, uh, has been my favorite verse of any hymn for a while now. I'm just going to read these lyrics, and I would like for you to just really think about these. And when we sing them in a minute, you'll, they'll, they'll make more sense, having thought about them before we get to it. Charles Wesley writes these words. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. This darkness of nature's night. My spirit lays imprisoned in the darkness. This sounds a lot like what Paul would say comes before you say yes to Jesus. Before you're moved from the position of being condemned to the position of grace. This is that state. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. The darkness. Then he says this, which is so cool. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. So the image is of someone who's laying in a dungeon because of their sinfulness, being imprisoned because of their sinfulness, in complete darkness of nature's night. And all of a sudden, God's eye diffuses a ray of light, which is a really cool picture. Almost seems like something out of a Marvel movie or something. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. My spirit, which was dead in sin, wakes up. I woke. The dungeon in which I'm laying because of my sinfulness 
is flamed with light. This bursting light. And then we repeat this last phrase at the end when we sing. We say, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's such a good line. There's no other response. When you are in a dungeon because of sin, when you are enslaved because of sin, when you are in in chains because of sin, and in darkness, and then God's eye shines light into the darkness and breaks the chains and sets you free, there really is no other response. Now, I have a friend uh, who, who used to preach who um, had, some, had some ethical concerns with some of his preaching, and he knew it. Because he used to love to tell this story. And the first time he told it, I thought, wow, what a, what a great analogy. And then I'll tell you why I had a problem with it afterwards. So here's the story he would tell. He said when he was a kid, his, his neighbors had this dog that they had this pin for in their backyard. And it was a really small pin. And they kept it locked up all day and all night. And they, they fed it, but they never let it out of this pin. It was just miserable laying there all day, all night with nowhere to go. It's this really sad story about this dog that was just stuck. And he said one day he knew his neighbors were gone. And so this young boy who loved dogs snuck over to his neighbor's yard and opened the gate and then ran back and hid behind the bushes. And he said it was the saddest thing he'd ever seen because the dog just chose to stay in the pen. The dog decided to just live in the pen. Even though he had now been set free, he stayed. And the point of this story was was to say that a lot of times we get set free. (laughs) Yet we choose to just remain in our own sinful state. This reminds me of the story of the Israelites whom God saves out of Egypt. And then they experience a taste of freedom. And guess what they say? This is hard. Let's go back. Can you imagine being Moses, all the hard work, all this like incredible story of going through the Red Sea and then they get out to the, the wilderness and they say, let's go back. And the point of the story of the dog is to say that sometimes we just choose to remain in our chains. Now the reason I didn't like him telling that story was because he wouldn't then tell everybody that he actually made it up. The real ending of the story is the dog ran away and I'm not sure if they found it ever again, but... Uh, <laughs> And I was taught in seminary not to lie in sermons. So I was like, dude, you just straight up lied to everybody. What are you doing? Story still holds up, but um, it's not the way it went. We have been set free. We have been moved from this position of standing condemned because of our sin to a position of grace. Thine eye... His eye has diffused a quickening ray. It's a consistent theme throughout Scripture, throughout church history, whether it's Paul or Charles Wesley. There is only one thing that can move us from this position of condemnation to grace. And it ain't us. It's not our resume. It's only through the cross and what Jesus has done on our behalf. 
And so our response is to say, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, set forth, and followed thee. So when we sing that in a second, I want to hear you singing it loud. Would you pray with me? God, we give thanks to you for this amazing work that you do in our lives. That even though our sinfulness makes us stand condemned, you continue to love us. You continue to pour out your grace upon our lives and give us a new position, no longer defined by our sin, but now defined by grace. Help us to live into that reality and to boast in the hope and glory of God. Amen.